Hey, good morning, Hillside. Pastor Dave here. In case we haven't met, uh, most of you I know very well, but uh, there are some new family members that have joined us on our online platform. So I want to welcome you and uh, welcome everybody. It's, it's a beautiful day. This is the day the Lord has made. And uh, we are continuing in our study in the book of Acts, and we are in our current series, God-Sized Operations. And this is uh, message number six out of this series, and uh, it's been a great series. I hope you've enjoyed it so far, and I hope you're growing. I hope you're learning, and I hope you're experiencing the power of God in your life. And so, as we continue, and truly, we want you to know that that is our heartbeat. Our heartbeat, pastoral staff, our elders, our deacons, we want you to be experiencing as all, we want all of us to be experiencing the power of God in our daily living, that we might see the work of God in our daily living. So, our, our Sunday through Sunday, so to speak, living. Anyway, uh, let's pray, and uh, we'll begin our study. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask your anointing. We ask your blessing as we continue in Acts chapter 13, Lord, may our hearts, may our hearts just be receiving the implanted seed of the word of God. We love you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're continuing in Acts. Again, this, uh, the book of Acts is God-sized blank and we've been looking at God-sized operations. And so we've already seen in this series empowering operations. We've seen evangelizing operations. We've seen uh, extraordinary operations, part one, and extraordinary operations, part two. Last week, we looked at exhorting occupations, and uh, that was part one, and we're looking at the exhorting occupations part two today, and this will be truly the conclusion of God-sized operations. And so, uh, we're in Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read kind of sporadically verses one, then verse four, and we'll go from there. But verse one, if you would read with me or follow along with me, it says, now in the church that was at Antioch, There were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manon, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Last week we looked at those ministries, if you will, and uh, really the purpose and the work of the ministries of the Lord. We looked at Ephesians chapter 4, and it was Christ, it is he himself who gave to the church some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And so we looked at what has been titled the fivefold ministry of the Lord, uh, the gifts to the church, and we looked at their purpose for the equipping of the saints for the works of the ministry. Some have said fivefold, others have said pastor-teacher is kind of synonymous and they're one and the same. There's not a comma between those two. Regardless whether you're a fourfold ministry of the Lord or a fivefold ministry of the Lord, these are exhorting occupations and they are positions, if you will, for the exhorting operation. And so that's why we are in this exhorting operation. Today, again, it's exhorting operations part two. And I would, I might even say imploring operations or imploring occupations because as Christ's ambassadors, the scripture tells us that God is making his plea with man through you and me, ambassadors for Christ. And so this imploring is 
to all men be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. That's the exhortation. The exhortation, be reconciled to God. And so that is our message. That is our ministry. We have received from the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. We've received our marching orders, and it is the ministry of reconciliation. Seeing men reconciled to the Lord. Seeing men reconciled to the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. How can they hear the message of Jesus unless someone is sent to them? We must convey the message of the gospel. And so, in Acts chapter 13, again, we're, we're exposed to, in this first verse, uh, prophecy or uh, the prophets and the teachers. And remember that the, the, the ministry of the prophet or the ministry of prophecy, principally speaking, is to declare the truth, declare the Word of God. And so there is a declaration, there is a communication that is happening where we are communicating the gospel. And the teacher, the teacher is unfolding, and it's an unfolding of what the text of the scripture means. So in this chapter, we're going to see uh, we're going to see this operation happening. Paul is going to declare truth. He is going to declare the gospel. And he is going to unfold the text. He's speaking specifically to the Jews on the front end, and then he will follow up and speak to the Gentiles, which will be their pattern, as the Word of God says, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He says in the book of Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And so that was their pattern. They would come into a city, they would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, being a visiting uh, Pharisee, being a visiting Jew, being a visiting rabbi, they would give them opportunity to speak. And so you'll see that in today's text as well. So Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, again, that it says, now then we are Christ's ambassadors. Or the New King James says it this way, ambassadors for Christ. I want you to, I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Because as an ambassador for Christ, you and I, we are not ambassadors for ourselves. Okay, we're not making a name for ourselves. It is no longer about us. It is no longer about our kingdom. It is no longer about our reputation. It is no longer about who we are. It is about who he is, Christ in us the hope of glory. And so I want to encourage you, even as you begin to let that sink into your very, the fabric of who you are, that in our daily living, we have 24 hours a day, we have seven days a week, it's 168 hours. In our 168 hours, oh Lord, help us to be ambassadors for Christ, for all our living to be in his namesake, in the name of Jesus, and not for our own namesake, in the name of, in my case, Dave. Okay? So, really want to encourage that and process that, digest that. So, 
Remember also that last week, in my message last week, I, I referred to Hillside and I referred to the church in Jerusalem, this first century church. They were in Acts 1H church. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses unto me. You shall be. It wasn't a command. It was a simplistic byproduct because that's what Jesus did. And because they were Jesus followers, they would do the same thing. And he said, you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. Well, that's what they did. They were witnesses in Jerusalem and they filled Jerusalem. Comprehend that for a moment. They filled Jerusalem with the doctrine of Jesus. Church, how are we doing filling our community with the doctrine of Christ, right? That's, that's all of our responsibility. It's not just mine. It's not just Pastor Matt. It's not just Pastor Dennis. It's not, it's not just the eldership. It's all of our responsibility to be saturating our community, our Jerusalem, with the gospel of Jesus. We might ask ourselves how we're doing in terms of a report card. And if we would give ourselves a bad grade, well, guess what? How do we improve the grade? Well, we got to do our we got to do our assignments. We got to go out and do. And so this is it's this it's an exhorting operation. This even myself talking about the scripture, unfolding the scripture today, it is an exhorting. It is for the equipping of the saints for the works of the ministry. God help us to be doing just that, conveying the message. Okay, and we're going to get into that because there's, there's an opportunity we'll see in this chapter where the plea goes out. And so, uh, so Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Acts chapter 13 verse 4 is now Paul and Barnabas are going to be being sent out by the Holy Spirit. This is the beginning of global missions unto the ends of the earth kinds of stuff. And so <clears throat> Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, verses 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. He says, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Therefore you go out in my authority and make disciples of all nations, of all people, of all ethnos. That's our assignment. Let's go out. Let's make disciples. Converts, yes. Then raising them up as disciples of Jesus so that they can be disciple-making disciples disciples. That's what you and I are to be. We are to be disciple-making disciples, okay? So, disciples of all nations. So, Acts chapter 13, verse 4, goes on to say, it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. From Cyprus, when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, they also had John as their assistant. And now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer. So these next few verses, they're going to have uh, an opportunity to see, when we talked about a couple of weeks ago, those uh, empowering ops, we talked about the extraordinary operations, some miraculous kinds of things. Well, Iliamus, the sorcerer, or excuse me, Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer, He's going to actually oppose them as they are sharing the gospel to the proconsul. And it is there that Paul calls him out and says, you full of wicked and evilness. Uh, and he says, you're going to be blind for a season. And uh, 
at that and at those words, it says a dark mist came down and covered his eyes and someone had to come and lead him by the hand. And the proconsul saw the power, saw the extraordinary operation, heard the exhorting message and believed. And I want to say to all of us today, that is the purpose of Pentecost. That is the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That is the purpose of God's empowering you and I from on high with the Spirit of God in us and the Spirit of God's empowering is for it's for salvation that people would come to Jesus. We saw on the day of Pentecost some 3,000 believed. Here we see in the midst of the proconsul an extraordinary operation, an exhorting occupation, message, the message of exhortation, the gospel, the proconsul believed. The proconsul believed. And so, thanks be to God. Okay, uh, verse 13 says, they went from uh, Paul and his party set sail from Paphos and they came to Perga in Pamphylia. So it's from Paphos to Perga in Pamphylia and then from Perga to Pisidia or the other Antioch. So here Paul and Barnabas were from Antioch and they go up to Pisidia and they go to the city of Antioch of Pisidia. And it's in Antioch of Pisidia that they're going to uh, see some additional things happening. So uh, they go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as they would, that is their pattern, the Jews first, then the Gentiles. And uh, verse 15, this is the significant piece I want all of us to hear. It's key for our living. It's key for our attentiveness when it comes to those that are living around us. Here, verse 15. It says this, And after reading... After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Speak. If you have a word of exhortation, share it. I believe that this is the cry of those that are in the world and those that are on the outside, those that have not received Jesus. Maybe they've been raised in the church and they're away from God. Maybe they've never made a commitment to God. They have a belief in God, but they do not believe upon Jesus for salvation. Wherever they are, maybe they're an atheist, maybe they're an agnostic, maybe they're in some other religion, wherever they are, I believe that this is the cry. And Although we may not hear it in these words, like the Jews said, they said, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. They may not say it in plain English. They may be talking to you about a circumstance or a situation. They may be talking and they may be trying to convey to you some other truth. But I believe deep down inside, because there is a God-shaped void in the heart of every believer, that there is a cry that is going out. And it's for the spiritually-minded Christ follower to hear the translation of the words that they are speaking, to hear the interpretation of the words that they are speaking. If you have a word of exhortation for me or the people in this room or us, say on, then we get to speak. We get to declare truth we get to share the love of God through Jesus Christ, his son.
We share the gospel. We give detail. We give truth. We give fact. We, we combat. We are prepared to give an answer to those who ask the reason of our faith. And it is a reasoned faith. And so, I want you to hear, uh, I want you to hear those words. Consider the conversations that you've had with your friends. Consider conversations you've had with your neighbors. Consider conversations that you've had with your, uh, the, the, your associates at work and those that you do, uh, just your normalcy of commerce of life. Listen to the conversations. Review in your heart and in your mind the conversations. Think about the conversations you've had with your children. Think about you, the conversations that you've had maybe if you have teens. Think about the conversations that you've had with other young adults or young marrieds or adults in your life. Reflect back. Put your ear to that conversation. Put your ear to the ground and see if you can't hear the true cry of their heart. If you have a word of exhortation for me, say on, speak, speak. Because the beauty is, sometimes we feel like, oh, I missed that opportunity. I missed that opportunity. Listen, the Holy Spirit will even reflect to you now a conversation with someone and you're hearing those words. If you have a word of exhortation, if you have an exhortation, if you have that exhorting, if you have the gospel, speak on, speak on. We serve a God of second chances. I believe that God will give you another opportunity. All you have to do is ask, Lord, would you give me another opportunity? Maybe you'd hear the Spirit of God speaking to you about making a phone call. Maybe you'd hear the Spirit of God speaking to you about sending a text. Maybe you'd hear the Spirit of God speaking to you to send an email. Maybe you'd hear the Spirit of God prompting you to go knock on a door and visit and revisit that previous conversation. Say, I feel like I'm supposed to share something with you. It's a word of exhortation. And it's the gospel. Now, in our narrative in Acts chapter 13, Paul heard those words, and he says, of course I do. And he stands up. And I want to read these verses, and we'll read 16 through, we may even get all the way through 44. Um, I want you to hear Paul is making his appeal to his people, the Jews. He says this, Then Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, saying, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people, excuse me, and exalted, exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. So he raised up the people in the land of Egypt. I got lost on that thought for a moment. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. Aren't you thankful that God puts up with your ways and my ways? I'm so thankful that God has put up with me. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet, Samuel being also the last judge of Israel, and afterwards, they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, the, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. 
And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise of God, uh, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. Paul is speaking to his audience, language they understand, King David, his seed, God raised up Jesus. God raised up the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus is his name. After John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. Here comes the word of this salvation. John was preaching, he says, there's one amongst us. So it was that day. It was that time frame. Messiah had come, whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop and untie. And so, and they believed John. They believed John's message. They believed John to be a prophet, which in fact, John was a prophet. And so they believed John and they believed John's words. So they knew what John had spoken. And so Paul quotes John. Messiah was here when I was here. And they knew John had been beheaded, and so all of these things had transpired. And so at this point, they're going, wait a minute. John did say, whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. And so uh, it goes on. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are ready, uh, read every Sabbath, have fulfilled in condemning him. They fulfilled the prophets. They didn't recognize Jesus as Messiah, and in their disbelief, they actually fulfilled the prophecies that were spoken concerning Messiah. What is he saying? He's saying, look, and he's, he's building the argument up. Messiah had to die. Messiah had to die. They didn't understand that. And so, it says, they have fulfilled them in condemning him, condemning him to death. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now then, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. Now, I want to pause here for a moment, verse 30, because this is a significant piece for you and I. It is the central reality of the gospel of Jesus, and it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For Paul tells us, he says, we are the most miserable of all people if there is no resurrection. Our lives, there's a futility in our lives. Our preaching is in vain if there is no resurrection. 
But thanks be to God, there was a resurrection. God raised Jesus from the dead. And Paul is going to go on in his message to these Jews to prove the resurrection. To prove it. That's significant for you and for me. Let's, look, let's, let's go on. He says, verse 31, He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. So his first defense for the resurrection, he's already demonstrated that Messiah had to die. And because of the promise of David, which he's already referenced, if Messiah is going to sit on the throne of David forever, there has to be a resurrection. And we're going to, we'll see that in a moment. He's going to get to the scriptural text as well. But he first identifies the eyewitnesses. Now remember, when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, you might remember, in fact, it's the simplicity of the gospel. Flip over in your Bible to the right, just a few pages, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is, it's the simplicity of the gospel. And it says this, uh, verse, uh, we'll just begin in verse 1 of chapter 15 uh, of 1 Corinthians. It says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand by which you also are saved if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, listen, according to the Scriptures. So he's going, he's going to go from an eyewitness account, because listen, listen he says, uh, verse 4, uh, excuse me, verse 5, and it says, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time. Eyewitness account. Peter saw him. The twelve saw him. And at one point, over 500 people saw him. Eyewitness account. That's powerful, but notice that he says twice, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. So he was crucified according to the scriptures. So Paul's making that appeal to the Jews. You know the text, now understand the text. So declaring truth and then unfolding truth. Prophecy, teaching. He's revealing, he's unfolding, he's explaining the the textual understanding. And so, Messiah had to be crucified, therefore, Messiah also had to be raised up according to the Scriptures. And so, here is the message where he is unfolding that. And he says this, seen by uh, eyewitness, or the witnesses to the people, verse 32, and it says, and we declare to you glad tidings. That promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children. It was declared to the fathers and God brought the promise to pass in our day. That's good news. That's why it's the gospel. 
They proclaim the good news. And so it goes on to say, uh, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus. Now he's going to get into his second defense, which is according to the scripture. He's going to give scriptural reference. And these are powerful. These are powerful texts for us to understand. Listen, it says, as it, is, or as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Interesting that the apostle Paul quotes this scripture in reference to the resurrection. I have begotten you. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. The Bible tells us in, 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 the, in the prophets, in Micah the prophet, in his declaration of where the Messiah would come from, but you, Bethlehem, uh, Epaphratha, and he goes on to say, from his, uh, from his origins, he is from everlasting. He is from everlasting, from his beginnings. His going, his going forth are from everlasting, from everlasting. John 1.1 1, 1 tells us in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14 tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. Jesus is eternal God and in the incarnation he is fully man. Set set his deity ability aside. Philippians chapter 2 explains this in some detail, but it's difficult to understand fully God and yet fully man, showing you and I how we can live. Now, he says, today I have begotten you. This begotten is either in reference to the incarnation or the resurrection. Paul here is referring to it in relationship to the resurrection. He is the firstborn of the brethren. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. A child of God. And so, then he goes on to say in verse 34, and that he raised him from the dead. That's the third time Paul said that. No more to return to corruption he has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. So he's quoted Psalm 2. Now he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. The sure mercies of David, Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 3, he is in reference he, here that there would be one of the seed of David that would sit upon the throne forever. So if Messiah had to first die... And yet Messiah is going to sit on the throne of David forever. He must then also be raised from the dead. He's proving from the scriptures what must transpire. Because God speaks the truth only. God is not man that he should lie. He is not the son of man that he should repent. God speaks the truth only. And in this, the scripture, all scripture is God-breathed. So Paul is using the scripture because it's the truth. And here he says, the sure mercies of David. One would sit on the throne forever. Messiah, therefore Messiah 
having to be put to death, God would have to raise him up. Now, you can imagine in the mind of the Jew, they're immediately thinking of Father Abraham who offered his son Isaac because we understand that Isaac was received back to Abraham as a son was received back from the dead. He was to be a burnt offering. And so in Abraham's mind, his son was already a pile of ashes. He, he pulled the knife out to slay his son so that the offering could be burnt. God stopped and said, it was at that point, uh, Abraham again making the declaration, God shall supply himself a sacrifice. And it's exactly what God did. God came in the flesh, supplied himself that sacrifice. That's the heart and the mind of a Jew. They would see the parallel. They would see the Spirit of God would be revealing these things to them, bringing conviction of heart to them. And so, the sure mercies of David... Therefore, he also says, verse 35, in another psalm. This is Psalm 16 and verse 10, and it says this. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Well, verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. <laughs> but Jesus Jesus, but he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Again, a proof of the resurrection. And so he's given not only the eyewitness testimonies, he's given proofs from the text of the resurrection. Resurrection being central. I want to encourage you and I want to encourage myself that when we share, we can share the testimonies of the Lord, not only the testimonies that we know from the Word of God, but we can share the testimonies of the Lord in our own lives. What has God been doing in your life? What has God been showing you in your life? What has God been doing in and through you in your life? His guidance, His direction, His mercies, His miracles, his work, his speaking, and his guiding, and his directing, and all of those kinds of things, his answers to your prayers. Those are testimonies. They're evidences. You have eyewitnessed the very power, the very resurrection power of the Lord and Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, and then we have the textual proofs. We also have the New Testament. We have textual proof from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it is, it is in our best interest to rehearse and learn so that we, we can share. Like those verses in, first, in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. We, we want to have Scripture in our hearts memorized. The Bible tells us, uh, the psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sit against you. Well, there's a hiding of God's word in our heart. And when we hide the word of God, it's the word of God that can bring life into people. And so as we speak the word of God, it would be, it would be beautiful for you to learn the Romans road. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 8, uh, excuse me, Romans 5, chapter uh, chapter. Chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, Romans chapter uh, 10, verses 9 and 10. Romans 10, 13. Those are great scriptures. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. I mean, it's important for us to have that 
information so that when we're conveying to people, we can share the good news of the gospel. And so Paul goes on to say these words. He says, therefore, verse 38, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. That's our message through Jesus. This man that we preach is forgiveness of sin is forgiveness of sin. And by him, everyone who believes is justified, listen, is justified from all things. All things. Doesn't matter what anybody's done. The blood of Jesus can cover it. The blood of Jesus can cover it. All things uh, from which you could not have been justified by the law of Moses. He gives a warning and says, hey, don't not believe believe. And we go to verse 42 and it says, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged them that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So they come together. It says, now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews, devout proselytes, followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, verse 44, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. This is powerful, man. Good news travels fast. Good news is conveyed by you and me. Let's be conveying to people so that they can come and hear the word of God. Come and hear the word of the Lord. Come and hear the message of salvation. Come and hear the gospel. It's, it's, the, it's the Philip and Nathaniel principle. We see it in uh, early in, in uh, John chapter 1. Where, where Philip believes, and he says, he goes to Nathaniel, hey, we found the one whom Moses and all the prophets have written about, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And he says, I don't know, come and see, come and see, come and see. And it's like, come and see. This is the come and see stuff. And the whole city came. The whole city came. But when the Jews saw the multitude, again, the Jews have this envy. They were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Here's, here's what I want to also encourage you. God has called us to scatter seed. God has called us to water seed. God has called us to harvest seed, harvest uh, the, the fruit, and that we would have fruit that would last. But you and I are not responsible for the results. And you notice that Paul and Barnabas didn't stay there. Woe is me, these folks, we got to convince them, we got to do this. They spoke the truth, and the truth was rejected. Paul didn't cease to pray for his people. He said, oh, that I could die and go to hell in your place, that you might all be saved. His heart's desire was that his brethren, the Jews, would all be saved. But he had to go on with the mission. He had to go on with the mission. So he went to the Gentiles. And so I just want to let you know, and I want to lift a little bit of a load for you and recognize that the results of the gospel are not up to you. We get to ask people, would you like to receive Jesus? We get to ask people, do you believe? But if they say no... That result is not on you. That result is not on you. So, 
Be encouraged, be a communicator, be a prayer warrior, and, and be a harvester. But if the harvest isn't there, hey, you're just a seed planter and a waterer at that point. Be encouraged about that. Rejoice. And so they go on, and I just want to give you a little bit more of the story because it's very exciting. It says this, uh, For the Lord has commanded us in terms of going to the Gentiles, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Again, so this is the fulfillment of the Acts 1-8, the words of Jesus, and it's also the, uh, the fulfillment of uh, the prophets. And he, and he goes on to say and says, now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, they believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. Gentiles were coming to Jesus. And I just want to encourage you. If you're listening this morning and you have family in the room, maybe you have some kids in the room, maybe you've not prayed with your children to receive the Lord, this is an opportunity for you to talk with your family. Talk with your kids. Talk with those who are in your family. Just as they went to Cyprus first, you know Barnabas was from Cyprus. It's very likely that he had family there and he was very eager to share the gospel with his family. I think that's a very good principle, that we share the word of the Lord with our family first. I want to encourage you to ask your children if they believe. I know my kids put their hope and faith in Christ at a very early age. I mean, we were talking to them from the time they were, could understand, and we would read the Word of God to them from the time they could understand, and receiving and praying with them at certainly at the age of probably four and five, and then even later, just making sure they understood what they were putting their hope and their faith in, and they're serving the Lord to this day. And so we want to encourage you, ask your kids. This is an opportunity for you even to hear your children and where they are and where their faith is, and to put their hope and faith in Christ. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Maybe it's a mom or a dad. Maybe it's it's a family member. Maybe it's an extended family member. I just want to encourage you that, to receive the Lord. But if you're, if you're listening and you've not yet put your faith in Christ, uh, as an ambassador of Christ, I would simply say to you, be reconciled to the Lord. And the way to be reconciled to the Lord is to declare Jesus as your Lord. I, I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sin. I believe God that you raised Christ from the dead, the resurrection, I believe. The Bible says that confession is made with the mouth and belief is in the heart. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. It's a, you, you can pray a simple prayer. Come into my life, Lord. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to live every day for your glory and to learn and to grow and who you are so that I might be more like Jesus in my daily living. Thank you for the gift of eternal life, that my name is written in the book in heaven. I give you thanks in Jesus' name. It's, it's that simple. Then the next step, let us know. Let us know. You can let us know that you've put your hope and faith in Jesus by sending us an email at info at hcfclackamas.org. Our heart's desire is to get, help you get plugged into a local church that's teaching the Word of God. If you live right here in this Clackamas, Happy Valley, Damascus area, we want to encourage you. Here is a good place for you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And we'll send you some information that'll help you get plugged in. And we want to we get you connected. So we'll try and hook you up with a life group and so where you can meet some folks and begin to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. If you live outside of this area, uh, we're, we, we're, we have connections all over the state of Oregon. We've got connections all across the United States and then even beyond. We have representation in probably some 57 countries across the globe. 
We'll help you find a church where you can grow in the Lord. And so will you let us know that? And uh, if a family member has received Jesus today, one of our regular Hillside family members, if one of your family members has received Christ, maybe it's a child who's received the Lord, we want to we wanna know about it. We're about to come to the communion table and Pastor Matthew is going to come and he's going to lead us through communion. Communion is where we remember what Jesus did for us upon the cross, giving his life, shedding his blood, and dying a substitutionary death. And again, you know the rest of that story. He didn't remain in the grave. Uh, his, His body did not see corruption for on the third day he rose from the dead and he lives forevermore. And so I want to encourage you to prepare uh, some uh, emblems for that, some bread and some juice, and, uh, and we'll partake in communion. And uh, if you're taking communion for the very first time, this could be a declaration to those around you that you have put your hope and your faith in the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And so we want to encourage you in that. The Lord bless you and keep you. And we look forward to uh, November 22nd when we will be coming together at our Sunnyside campus right here on 190th and Sunnyside Road. We love you and we thank you. God bless. Bye-bye.